My name is Mary and I'm an alcoholic. Mary. I'm grateful to be here this evening and uh, it's been a little while since I spoke at this meeting in particular and um, so I want to thank, was it your, your fault Scott or Kelly? Scott and Kelly's fault so thank you so much and um, I want to thank my friend AJ for being the 10 minute speaker. I, actually asked her because I enjoy hearing AJ speak and sharing her experience, strength, and hope. So you did a fine job, my friend, and um, kind of used it as a nice distraction for not worrying about tomorrow. <laughs> so it was a, a double duty there. So. Um, so I want to welcome our newcomer, Luke. Keep coming back. Luke, Luke's, Luke keeps coming back, so that's he's doing what we're asking him to do. So that's awesome. I mean, he just keeps coming back. So, so, so keep coming back, Luke. Um, and I want to congratulate. Did Steve leave? Oh well. No. Stephen, I'm sorry. Did Stephen leave? Okay. Well, congratulations, Stephen. I watched him walk in to his meeting, to our meeting on Wednesday. So. Um, 90 days is a big deal, and congratulations, Steve, on four months. That's awesome. George was over there saying, four months? When do we start doing that, you know? I said, it's Jim's fault, because everything's Jim's fault, so. <laughs> I get to blame Jim for everything, and I can do that, because he's my sponsor, so. Um, and it is really his fault, because he, uh, suggested to do that on Wednesday night to do a, a chip for every every month and that really grew as a result of that suggestion so many blessings on this group and I hope it grows um, this is a meeting that I used to come to many many years ago so uh, just to qualify real quickly um, I started drinking when I was 13 years old and I drank alcoholically the minute I started drinking. And uh, one of my first memories is when I was about five years old. I just remember swinging on this swing at our uh, preschool. And I just felt like all alone and different from, and I had no idea where that feeling came from. And, um, but when I found alcohol at the age of 13, you know, I just drank to get drunk. I drank hard and fast, and alcohol was a relief for what ailed me. And um, I had friends that would just say to me, why are you drinking like that? Like, why do you have to drink so that we have to take care of you, you know? And I just drank that way because I just liked the way that what alcohol did for me, and it helped me to check out, to not feel, you know, to pass out, to black out, and, and that's how I drank. And so um, I was fortunate enough to live in a household, and I grew up in Mission Viejo, so I'm local, and um, my mom and dad were not alcoholic. I don't believe that they were alcoholic, but they did like to drink and they did like to party. And so I'm very, very thankful for that because pretty much drugs is not a part of my story. I just drank and they had enough alcohol to supply me 
and um, my dad had built this bar, so he had all this alcohol. We had alcohol in the kitchen, we had alcohol in the refrigerator in the kitchen, we had alcohol in the garage in the kitchen, I mean in the garage we had alcohol because we had a refrigerator in the garage. And then my dad worked um, for a home builder, so at Christmas time he would buy um, those whole booze and um, for construction workers. And I would take like two or three out of those, you know, cases and uh, bottles of booze, and I would I'd throw them in my backpack and I'd take them to school. And so, um, in regards to me drinking, I, I drank like the first day I got my license, I got pulled over for drunk driving. I didn't get a drunk driving because back in those days, they didn't care. Well, I, I think they cared, but I mean, they were just so lenient, you know, they were just like, the, the officer that pulled me over um, was late for me, and um, I made him feel sorry for me because I was, you know, bawling in the back of the cop car and throwing up in the back of the cop car, and so he felt sorry for me. So he gave me a, a, um, a $30 uh, running a stop sign uh, ticket, and uh, Six months after that, I ended up totaling my dad's 911S Porsche um, on Ortega, uh, not on Ortega, but on uh, Laguna Canyon. And uh, again, I was uh, very, very drunk. And um, I bit down on my tongue and I almost um, bit off my tongue. And so I was just bleeding from my mouth. And the officer asked again, you know, have you been um, drinking and I said no because that's what I'm supposed to say is no and um, they're like well why are you talking funny and then they realized that my tongue was like hanging off and and so they rushed me to emergency and they're like okay you know you're not drinking <laughs> no why they didn't think I was drinking but um, so that was twice I didn't get pulled over and um, so I started drinking and driving from the minute that I got my license, and I proceeded to do that till finally I got pulled over for a DUI when I was 20 years old. So for four years, I drove in blackouts. I drove when I was just like, you know, I, I would literally go to parties and people would say, hand over your keys, because they knew I was going to be drinking and driving, and I always had that extra key stashed, you know. And um, because nobody was going to tell me that I, I couldn't drive. And people would always say, you know, oh, just come with us, you know, we'll drive you. And I was like, I wasn't, I wanted my own independence to be able to drive. And, and I really didn't care um, what the consequences were. And um, so at 20 years old, um, and again, what I share here is just really my experience, strength, and help. And so this was my experience. Um, at 20 years old, I went ahead and um, was celebrating a friend of mine's uh, 21st birthday. And um, it was in uh, March of 1985. And the party was at Mr. J's in Santa Ana. And the party started at 11 o'clock in the morning and so like any good alcoholic I went ahead and I started drinking while I was getting ready so about you know 
nine o'clock I started drinking, nine o'clock in the morning I started drinking, you know, I wasn't opposed to morning drinking, and um, so I started drinking, and uh, I got to the party, and, um, you know, halfway through the party, it would always be like this, you know, halfway through the party, I'd just have to go somewhere, so probably about two o'clock in the afternoon by that time and I had to leave and they're like where are you going why are you leaving and you know we can drive you and I said no I just have to leave and so I went ahead and I um, got in at that time you know because I had already told the Porsche so I was in a um, I was in a uh, station wagon paneled station wagon by then and um, I went ahead and uh, took off and they were trying to chase me down and I took uh, the freeway heading north instead of south because I was trying to you know head home but I didn't know where I was going and I drove around in a blackout till I came out of that blackout at eight o'clock at, at night and um, I was driving on Stonehill and I felt like my brakes had gone out and so I uh, landed that um, station wagon into a van who was pumping gas on the corner of that Stonehill and, and, uh, and Del Obispo on that mobile station. And that van got thrown up against the um, station there. And um, so he's pounding on my window, you know, get out of the car, we know you're drunk, and um, I'm gonna call the cops. And so, so he's, like, he's like, come with me, we're calling the cops. And so I said, okay. And uh, as soon as he got on the phone, I ran to my car because, you know, I was always trying to get away, you know. So I tried to get away, and the cop went ahead and knocked on the car and um, said, you know, get out of the car. And they didn't even ask if I had been drinking. <laughs> he knew I was drinking. Uh, I didn't get any field sobriety tests. He just said, get in the car right now. And so uh, he proceeded to put my handcuffs in the front instead of the back and I don't know why he did that because I was probably 20 years old and I was young and he's like you know we're not going to have any problems here and so he did that and he put me in the front seat of the car instead of the back seat of the car it's like again you know I'm not going to have problems with this young kid and and um, so he put me in the front seat and um, if any of you have had the honor and privilege of driving, uh, getting picked up um, and having a ride in a cop car, if they put you in the back, they don't have, um, they don't have uh, handles in the back seat, but in the front seat, they still have those, you know, handles so you can get out, right? So um, we were driving up to Orange County Jail. Uh, I don't know what time it was at, at this time, but, um, was in the 80s and um, I was very fixated and obsessed with uh, a TV show called The Bionic Woman. <laughs> and, uh, I uh, aspired to really become the bionic, in my head I was a bionic woman, okay? That's what it was. I was just the bionic woman in my head. And so um, because I had seen so many episodes, I really believed I could actually have that type of episode happen. So as we were driving up the five freeway, in my head, I was going to jump out of the car, I was gonna roll across the freeway, and I was gonna get away, I was gonna run away. 
on my bionic legs, you know. And uh, I got as far as getting out of the cuffs, grabbing onto the handle of the car, and I mean, I didn't open it, but the cop saw me, and he was like, what are you doing? And pulled it over, and he's like, were you really going to jump out of this car? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, duh, like, of course, I could do it. And um, that, that good old alcohol, it's, it's, it makes you more powerful than anything, you know? And um, so anyway, they, uh, they took me in, and I didn't have to stay the night. They released me, you know, on my own at 3 in the morning, and I ended up calling that gal that... Um, that who we were celebrating her her boyfriend at the time they got married but her boyfriend at the time's uh, 21st birthday so she came and picked me up and I slept off the hangover there and stuff like that and um, but what that incident happened for me was it put me on a court card and um, and I don't remember actually having to go to like any like DUI school per se, but I was in counseling and so I think they just kind of like wrote that into the counseling that I was doing and um, I don't even know how I found, because I don't remember having a directory or anything like that, but I found a meeting on Oso and Marguerite called the Mission Viejo Missionaries Meeting and I went there and I thought it was really ridiculous because the secretary at the time, her name was Lucia, she said, if you have a court card, I'm not going to sign the court card till after the meeting. The meeting was an hour and a half, of course, and um, I was like, I have to stay through this whole meeting, you know? I was like, I don't I don't want to stay through this whole meeting, but I wasn't smart enough to sign my own court card, so I just like did it. And I went to all the meetings that they asked me to go to. I don't remember how many meetings they asked me to go to, but I went to them, and I went to that meeting in particular. And I never raised my hand as a newcomer. I really felt like in my innermost being that I had a problem I didn't know what alcoholism was. So I knew I had a drinking problem, like I had a problem with drinking, but I really thought I just had a driving problem. Like I didn't <laughs> like equate the two, like the two didn't match for me, you know, because um, I was more like I drank daily, but I was really a good binge drinker. And I was like AJ, you know, like my solution was at church. So it, you know, during Lent, you know, I, I would stop drinking. And, you know, there was periods of time, you know, if I got pregnant, I'd stop drinking. And if it, you know, all these things that would happen for me uh, or to me that I created, I would stop drinking. And I'd stop drinking for a period of time. And I thought, you know, I'll just get good. I'll just get good, you know, and I'll get good through God. And I'll get good through God by going to church. And, and, and that will be my solution. And, but I never thought I was an alcoholic because I knew what I did think I knew was that uh, what an alcoholic looked like and it wasn't me you know I was 24 years old um, when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous and um, this was when I was still 20 and so I just 
even though I came into the rooms, I still knew what you guys look like. I just like, I am not an alcoholic. Um, but when I finally had gotten to that point, which I called my ultimate surrender, and where I was sick and tired of living the way that I was living, um, I knew where to come back to. And so I'm so, so grateful for the court system that they introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous because I knew where to come back to when I was just exhausted. And that day was on November 9th, 1989. So I've been sober for 25 years now. And um, I, um, it was a Thursday night and I went to where I always go, which is church. And it was a, um, a Bible study at that time. And I went there. And um, after the Bible study, the pastor of the church um, stood up and he's like, you know, in this old mighty voice of his says, you know, I believe God wants to deliver people from drugs. And I sat there and I'm like, oh, thank God that's not me because, you know, I'm not a drug user. I'm like, literally, I'm not a drug user. I've had a couple drugs, but I'm not a drug addict, you know. I'm, I drink, but I'm not a drug addict, you know. And so I went ahead and um, I went ahead and sat there and it seemed like this long, long pause and the pastor said, and or alcohol <laughs> and he could have said come on down you know right after that and um and so i knew that was me and i felt like this this big spotlight was on me i felt like you know you when you're at the post office and they call your number that's literally what it felt like for me it was just like they called my number and so um I went down and they, uh, you know, had this prayer thing going on and, you know, I had had many, many seasons of prayer and um, on this particular night, as a good alcoholic, I was trying to manipulate, jockey my way to this really powerful prayer people that were on the left and, and they were kind of leaning me towards the right and they, they put me in front of this one guy and I'm like, I can't be in front of this one guy, I don't know him, he, you know, he's not, he's not going to say the right prayer for me, you know. And he said this simple prayer. He's like, from this day forward, you'll never pick up another drink again. And for me, I don't know. Um, I was just in a place of utter surrender. And so it wasn't so much the prayer that he said. It was, for me, um, the faith and the belief that I was actually done. Uh, up until that point, I had always prayed to God and told God what he needed to do. He needed to take this from me. And that prayer that night for me was, I give it to you, where it was me like turning my will over for the first time. And so um, that was all the prayer that I needed. And it was almost kind of like we talk about, you know, 
God help me. Like that is a very powerful prayer. And I hear that people get sober with just that prayer, God help me. You know, it wasn't me playing God to God and telling, hey God, you better do this or else. And that was always how I always prayed before. Um, and it wasn't until I got into Alcoholics Anonymous and I started reading that, that book um, where it talked about in, in the third step about me always playing God. You know, I always believed in a God. I believed in a higher power, so to speak. But I was always playing God of my life my whole entire time. And, um, you know, it's, it's, my life is, is very different as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous and these steps and the traditions. And um, I'm so, so grateful that, uh, you know, like Kelly was sharing, um, you know, for me today, it's one alcoholic talking to another. And um, so what happened after that was I started going to this group that the church had. It was kind of a quasi-AA meeting. And um, people were not staying sober. And they would raise their hand and they'd say, oh, yeah, I drank. And I was like, you drank? Like, I thought we were supposed to stay sober, you know. And um, so there was this kind of, like, voice that I was hearing, like, go back to AA. Like, go back to AA. And I'm like, I'm not going back to AA because, you know what? AA is full of heathens and they're full of people that swear. And, you know, I know what AA looks like and I don't want to be a part of AA. I don't want any part of AA, you know. And it was just like, go back to AA, go back to AA. So um, I found myself back to that um, Wednesday night meeting that I had fell into accidentally, you know, four years prior. And I've been going to that meeting ever since. And um, like I said, that's been for 25 years now. And, um, you know, what I am so grateful for the people that were there when I came in. Um, because I was telling Ken Lease, uh, Ken Lease goes to that meeting and still goes to that meeting. And he was one of the first people that were there at that meeting. And he said to me, he said, um, you were not going to stay sober, you know. And I'm so grateful that he told somebody like me, you know, that's, especially back then, very competitive <laughs> and was going to prove him wrong and, you know, carried that resentment. And... Uh, you know, I, I was really, really thankful that uh, a day at a time I've, I've stayed sober. He's a, a dear friend of mine. At four years sober, it was about four years sober, um, was when um, uh, they came and told, his wife came and told him that his, his son had hung himself. And, um, and I, I'll never forget that night. I was sitting in that meeting, and I stayed sober a long time on that because I watched that man and what he did to stay sober through that situation. And um, I have had um, the privilege of being around a lot of people that have had that experience. I don't want that experience for myself um, to lose a child uh, anyway. But um, I have watched people, dear friends of mine in this program, go through that and stay sober no matter what. And um, so I will know how to do that. God, God forbid that happen, but if that happens, I know how to 
who to go to, what to do. And, you know, that's what we do here is we share our experience, strength, and hope. Um, I go to a Do It Sober meeting in the morning, and I heard my story shared there when I was about the same time. I was about four years sober, and this lady was sharing about how she had reunited with the child that she had given up for adoption, a, a daughter. And she said that her daughter had asked her to be um, on the family uh, ceremony, you know, table. And, um, and I said, you know what, I want what that woman has. And um, because before I got sober, I had two children that I gave up for adoption. And the reason why I did that was because I was an alcoholic, you know, and I knew that I couldn't raise those boys. And, um, and so uh, I knew when she was talking about her experience, I said, the only way I'm going to be able to reunite with any one of those, either one of my boys, is if I stay sober. And um, so I actually, in sobriety, have reunited with both of those boys. They're men now, because <laughs> I was—I'm a grandma, and you know, I—I I, I did all that stuff when I was young, and um, and so um, I remember when um, I got a letter from my youngest boy. It was an, an open adoption, so I knew her where he was, but I didn't have any contact with him. His, his mother, his adoptive mother, would go ahead and send me yearly updates and pictures of him. And so I had gotten a letter. He was 15 years old. It was 2001, and uh, my father had passed. And uh, my father um, loved Alcoholics Anonymous because for him, Alcoholics Anonymous had given him his daughter back. And so he was the biggest cheerleader for me about AA. Anytime I said, oh, I have to go to an AA function, I gotta go to an AA meeting, he's like, please go. Because <laughs> he knew that, that hour was going to mean a big deal to bring, bring me back home. And, um, and so um, in 2001, uh, when he passed in April of 2001, you know, it was it was a tough time for me. You know, um, and I and I didn't necessarily want to drink, um, but I was in so much pain, uh, pain to a level of I would have dreams where in my dreams he was still alive. So like I couldn't even rest. And um, because I missed him so much, and um, and so I didn't want to drink, but I knew, like my alcoholic mind said, oh, a drink will fix it. You know, like a drink will fix what's ailing me right now. But I didn't pick up no matter what, and I and I hung out and I and a lot of people surrounded me and took care of me and mourned for me and um, just did whatever it took for me to stay sober through that and um, so uh, 
in that same year, I got a letter in August of uh, 2001 from my son. And um, he said that he was 15 years old, and um, he said that he wanted to uh, meet up with me. And um, I said, uh, well, I didn't say anything because I just got the letter. And uh, I thought to myself, I was like, oh, no, I, I, I can't meet up with him because, like, I uh, haven't done everything that I needed to do. <laughs> and I, I'm anticipating meeting him when he's 18, you know, and that's in three more years, you know. And, and um, so I was very, very, very perplexed. And um, I guess it showed a lot because Jim came up to me and said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and... Um, and he and I said, I said, well, you know, and I, I wasn't sharing this at group level because I was very ashamed of giving giving my my boys up, and so I shared with you know several people, but I would not share in the room because I knew that if I shared in the room, that you would judge me. Even though this woman had already shared her experience, strength, and hope, I just was not um, comfortable with sharing that at at a group level. So. Jim said, what's wrong with you? And I, I said, oh, nothing. And he's like, no, I know something's wrong with you. What is it, you know? And so I shared with him what was going on. And um, if you have the privilege of sharing something with Jim that's very private, um, it's really not a good idea because um, <laughs> everybody will know about it. And um, so he's like, oh, that's fantastic, you know, like, you know, that's what we do here in AA. You know, my tragedy shared with another individual becomes an opportunity, you know? And so he's like, that's fantastic news. Oh, that's so exciting. And he's like, so you're going to share with the group, right? And I'm like, no, why would I do that? And he's like, yeah, you're going to share with the group, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to share with the group about this. You know, like, this is not a fantastic thing, Jim. Like, I need to get married. I need to find a house. I need to, you know, get a better job. I need to get a million dollars. I mean, you know, I need to get all this stuff by, before he sees me in, like, a couple weeks, you know. And, um, so sharing it with the group is not going to help me, you know. And uh, he's like, okay, that's fine. If, if you know, if, if you don't want to share it with the group, then I will. And, so that's his, that's his way of, you know, working it. And so, um, so, of course, we walk into the room, and, of course, they said, does anyone want to share? And I look over at him, and I raise my hand as quickly as, you know, before he does, right? And so I share with the group, and, of course, you know, that's what we do in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we share our tragedies and they're, they're cut in half and we share our joys. And even though it didn't feel like a joy at the moment, um, that joy doubled because everybody in the group embraced me. And everybody in the group walked me through that situation. And um, I have a wonderful relationship with that boy now. Uh, there was a group of us, <laughs> my friend Kent and, and Jim and his wife and, and Rick the plumber, and there was a whole group of us that went up and watched this boy play football because he was a quarterback, and, and he was a star uh, football player for high school. 
He took him to CIF playoffs. They won the championship, and we got to see him play one of his games. You know, I'm, I'm like bringing my my whole clan up to the to the Christian school that he was going to, right? And there's there's Kent going, kick his ass, kick his ass, you know. I'm like, Kent, Kent, this is a Christian school. Just you know, calm down. <laughs> And um, it, it was it was just a, a, a joy uh, to have my whole family, you know, meet my other family there, you know. And um, so, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, what I know today, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous, is that I am an alcoholic. Um, and I didn't know that before. And the reason why I'm an alcoholic is because I have an allergy of the body, which when I go ahead and ingest alcohol, it's not the same as when my friends, who I still know from high school, that watch me drink, that have seen me stay sober, but they still drink. They don't drink like I drink. They do not have that same allergic reaction that I do. And once that allergic reaction happens for me, then I have this obsession of the mind that will not stop. And um, so I found that out here. I found that out that I suffer from alcoholism. And I also found that there is a solution in those books, in that step, through working with the sponsor. Because in my mind, I cannot figure it out myself. I want to figure it out myself. I want to think I don't need, but as you can see in those steps, it says we. It does not say I. And so we together can come to that solution. And we do that, like I was sharing with Kelly in the very beginning, walk one alcoholic talking to another. And um, so I found a solution for what ails me. and. I heard a girl share this morning about the AA juice, you know, like you get the AA juice here, you know. And I was like, yeah, if we could just bottle that juice and sell it, you know, it, it'd be the same effect that I got out of that other bottle. Now I get this juice. And, um, you know, that's, those are, that, that has replaced what the alcohol used to do for me, you know, and uh, uh, I lost my mother in 2005, and um, so now I'm an orphan, and, um, but what happened in that situation is what happened when I lost my dad, or when I went, met my son, um, or when I met my older boy. Um, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous surround me and walked me through that situation. And um, I went to my sponsor who's so loving and kind and, and I was in so much pain. And I would go to that morning meeting and I'd cry and I'd share and, and I'd blubber and they'd clap after I was done doing that and um, they would just surround me and they'd take care of me. and. My best friend Sheila, I was sitting in, in the house where I was living with my mother and I was sitting in that house and she's like, what are you doing? She called me up. She's like, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. And she says, 
well, get dressed because I'm going to come and pick you up and take you to Costco. I'm like, why? And she's like, just get dressed and, you know, stand outside and we're going to pick you up and take you to Costco. And I'm like, okay. And so I get in the car and we go over to Costco. I'm like, what are we doing here? And she's like, never mind. I have to go shopping. <laughs> and that's what she did. She just like took me out of the situation that I was in because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what to do next. And she just took me and brought me with her. And, um, and I, so I went to my loving sponsor and I said, you know, when is this pain going to stop? When is this pain going to stop? And he gave me the hope of, in two years, you will no longer feel this pain. <laughs> and, um, and I love that he shared that with me because I can share from the podium today that I no longer have that deep hurt pain that I had. And it took a long time. So every time I shared about my mother, I cried at this podium. And, um, and I don't have that deep-seated pain. And um, um, on November, my, my mother passed on November, I, I mean, I'm sorry, December 12, uh, 2005. And um, in, uh, December 9th, of 2014, my sponsor's wife passed, and um, I got the call from our mutual friend Paul, and uh, I was driving from a, a meeting back to work, and Paul called, and I picked up the phone, and I'm like, hey, how's it going, Paul? And he goes, oh, not very good. And he said, Jim's wife has passed. And uh, I go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And he's like, well, I go, where are you? And he goes, I'm at home. And I go, well, you're not with Jim? And he goes, he goes no, I asked him, and he said he's fine. I'm like, no, Jim's not fine. <laughs> Trust me, Jim is not fine. Meet me over to Jim's house. Meet me over, and I'm on my way there now. And um, so we showed up, of course, and you know, and that and that's what happens in Alcoholics Anonymous. People show up, you know. Um, I did. We show up. <laughs> we show up because that's what we do for one another. And uh, I was there, and um, and I got to uh, to cry with Jim because I loved his wife. You know, when, when my folks died, you know, him and, his, him and his wife adopted me, you know? And um, so I was grateful for that. And, um, and so it was a loss for me too, you know? And um, like, what can we do for you, Jim? And he's like, I don't know, you know? And I know how that feels, like really not knowing what to do next. And, um, and he said, um, He's like, I don't, uh, you know, there's, what can you do? And I get that, you know, what can you do? And he goes, you know what? Because his wife was not an alcoholic, and he's like, you know what? There's booze in the in in the refrigerator. Maybe you can dump that out, you know. And I know this man. I know the program that he works. I know where he goes. I go and I follow 
all these people that are of service, that work the program, that work with others, that do the deal. You know, this definitely is a program of action. And, um, and so he wasn't thinking that he was going to drink. But, like, why have it there? Why have it there? I got to return the favor to him by dumping out the booze because when I was at the house that I was living with my mother, they still had all that booze. So my dad had all the booze from the bar, had all the booze. I mean, we never got rid of the booze when my dad died, you know. And so I had to have three people over to dump out all that booze. And we just kept dumping it. I mean, it took a long, long time to dump out all that booze. It's a little bit of a crime, but we did it anyway. Yeah. It was alcoholic abuse to its tea, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, um, today I have uh, actually just embraced, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous in... We have, a, you know, I share about the steps and I share about, you know, my experience, strength, and hope. The hope that I have today is to stay sober a day at a time, and that's how it works. But um, I have the best life today. I have so much fun in sobriety. Um, I, you know, can go anywhere. I can do anything. And um, I have such a joy in my heart that I never found out there. And I never found with any of my friends out there, you know. Um, and uh, we're getting ready to go to the international convention again in in July. And uh, this is uh, the third one that Jim and I have been on together. And um, one of the most spiritual things he told me when we were in Toronto, so we we're in Canada, and. Uh, we we're all trying to figure out, you know, okay, where are we going to go to next? What meeting we're we going to go to? You know, all these speaker meetings and stuff. And he goes, you know what? Let's go to the movies. <laughs> so um, I uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love the life that it has given me, and I love the woman that I am today as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous, and. Um, I have so much hope today, and um, I hope that you stick around, and I hope that you stay. And um, if, if nothing else, you just keep coming back. So thank you for letting me share.